So in the Gospel of Matthew, we have this very unusual thing. You probably don't remember that part of the story, that Jesus came riding both a donkey and a horse. Well, why is that? Well, Matthew is very big on showing that Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy. And this is a prophecy from the ninth chapter of Zechariah. Matthew probably knew that Zechariah is using a poetic device that's used throughout Hebrew literature, especially in the Psalms, where they say the same thing twice in different words. It's great when you translate into other languages because that's a poetic device that works in translation. What Zechariah wrote was, See, your king shall come to you. A just savior is he, meek and riding on an ass, on a colt, the foal of an ass. When a king rode an ass into a city instead of a horse, he was indicating that he was coming in peace, not in aggression. The people surely recognized this symbol at the time. Their shouts of acclamation echo other Bible stories we have of kings entering Jerusalem, Solomon and Yehu and Simon Maccabeus, but most of all, Judas Maccabeus, when he came back after winning the victory over the Greek occupiers, the people laid down palms and their cloaks for him as well. Christ is our King. Christ is our Prince of Peace. Dear brothers and sisters, like the crowds who acclaim Jesus in Jerusalem, let us go forth in peace. And now, the mood of our Mass changes drastically. Zechariah said, Your king shall come to you, a just savior is he, meek and riding on an ass, on a colt. For the rest of this Mass, we journey with Jesus as he became king through his meekness, his humility, and his submission. Great crowds in Jerusalem shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! But in a few days, smaller groups don't picture the crowds from the Hollywood movies. They agitated successfully for Jesus to be put to death. As we listen again to this story, let us ask ourselves, how are our life experiences like Jesus? How are they different? How are we similar to these beautiful passages we hear from Isaiah and Philippians today? describing who Christ was for us. The Passion of Count of St. Matthew is only slightly different from Mark, Luke, and John, or at least it seems to only be slightly different in minor ways. Most of the distinctive details are about others, not about Jesus. Judas commits suicide. Pilate washes his hands. Pilate's wife has a dream, maybe echoing the dreams of Joseph at the birth of Jesus. There's an earthquake. The saints enter Jerusalem and soldiers guard the tomb. But if we focus on those details, will we miss the forest because of a few trees? There is another danger in hearing this Passion account of equating the crowds of Palm Sunday with the people of Good Friday. We don't know the size of the crowds accompanying Judas to the, the garden, the size of the crowd demanding the release of Barabbas, 
of the size of the crowds mocking Jesus on Golgotha. But surely they were not as large as the crowds on Palm Sunday. And neither are they a representative cross-section of all Jews. The characters in the Passion include people who knew Jesus well and those who didn't know him at all. Friends and strangers alike rejected him. Friends and strangers alike accompanied him and interceded unsuccessfully on his behalf. A few days ago, I had the opportunity to make an overnight hike to Mount LeConte with people from another parish. It was a fantastic trip. Perfect temperatures. The clearest views that some people who had gone a dozen times said they had ever seen in their life. And I traveled with a small group, and we were all men, so a hike of five miles up and five miles down is enough time to solve all the problems of the world. We discussed domestic and international politics, health care and school reform, and whether Knoxville treated Kwanzaa Martin fairly. There was still time left over to ask the priest questions about religion. One guy in particular asked a lot of questions that forced me to exercise my brain as much as my calves and my hamstrings. Many of his questions were the usual topics, but there was also a conversation, an extended conversation, about the question that comes up every year during Holy Week, about the nature of suffering. It is hard to transition from the triumph of Palm Sunday to the seeming defeat of the Passion. How could Jesus' closest disciples betray and abandon him? Why did Jesus endure such abuse, torture, rejection, and death? How could this be part of God's plan? We may gain insights into this series of questions, what we call the Paschal Mystery. We may gain insights from time to time, but we will never fully comprehend the mystery in this lifetime. There are two things that strike me in this moment. The first, I can't remember if I included it during my pontificating up and down Mount Leconte, but the passion to me proves that God is not remote. God understands the human condition. Jesus Christ emptied himself. He experienced the full range of human emotions. Jesus Christ suffered and died in the complexities of social sin. The second thing that strikes me today is the most distinctive element of Matthew's account of the Passion is not in the Passion itself. Matthew is the teaching gospel. It is structured around five discourses where Jesus teaches at length. And the last of these discourses takes place in between the gospel passage we heard outside on Palm Sunday and what we heard in here on Good Friday. The last three lessons of this discourse are very well known and they are all unique to the gospel of Matthew. The parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and the telling of the last judgment. Those three stories may give us a clue to interpret the passion. Events of the world may seem to be beyond our control, but our actions make a difference. 
When do we actively contribute to evil like Judas? When do we actively intercede to try to change the course of events like Pilate's wife? When do we quietly accompany those who suffer like Mary Magdalene? Most damning of all, when do we wash our hands of the power we have been given to change the course of events like Pontius Pilate? I considered my hours of playing Stump the Priest on the, tr- the trek from Mount LeConte to be very small payment for such a wonderful opportunity. But as I was giving these long answers as we were going up and down the hill, I couldn't help but question my own motiv- motivation. Was I riding my high horse like a conquering king, or was I being humble? When we got down to the parking lot and the group started to break up, I learned that I had misunderstood what was going on on the trail. The man who had asked the most questions, it turns out, has not been to church in a very long time. He is struggling to figure out what it means to be Catholic. And I was assured by others on the trip that the attention I had given him had made a lasting impact on his life journey. Our actions make a difference for how God's kingdom breaks into our world. And those lessons, those lessons from the 25th chapter of Matthew come back and inform this passion account. Whatever we do for one another, even the least among us, we do for Christ. Our gifts are given to us to serve the kingdom. We know neither the day nor the hour.